0: I've been sick a lot this winter so far. Actually, it's only, uh, what, the second day of winter now, the first day of winter. Um, I've been sick a lot this fall. Hey, look, it's Carl. He rarely speaks uh, to the podcast. Say hello to everyone, Carl that's pretty cool. So anyway, my episode today is with Claudia Blood. I say at one point in the conversation that she is one of my favorite guests, and I'll double down on that. She's one of my favorite guests. Really a pleasure talking with her. There's something about the way that she approached questions that made me think uh, her internal life was a lot more vibrant than my own, Uh, and I speculate you might have the same experience listening, so I hope you gain a lot of knowledge and just enjoy her process and what is kind of an atypical, pondering, pontificating, meandering conversation that really didn't touch much on marketing other than theory? So, yeah lots of good wishes for you. This is the last episode of the week. I'll be coming back to you on Monday with a new one. And very soon we will be moving into the story episode format. So I can't wait to share some of that with you. I recorded one today and it was a true pleasure. Thanks so much. And we'll talk at you again real soon. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance, because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing You know what I have been doing the past couple of days is literally cold calling to sell, sell my book, The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists. Um, and I'm, I'm doing something that I haven't heard of other people doing before, but, okay. uh, I'm partnering with insurance agencies to get the book into the hands of college students. So the win for the insurance agency is that it's a, it's like a, business card. Actually, their business card gets stapled to the front. I don't care. It's okay. And then they pay to buy the book and give it to the kids that I want to read it.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. It's been working really nicely. Interesting.
1: And and how do you like tell whether or not that's effective, right? Like how do you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good, uh, it depends on what your measurement for effective is. So my number one measurement as a newer author um, I've been writing books and I have a lot of books in backlog, but as as a first-time published author is copies sold.
1: Okay. Um
0: so to me, readability comes when the masses believe that it's readable. And so if I can create a lot of noise and be yep. everywhere, and when yep. people turn their head and they're like, There's that Jody character again. Then, then they start to ask themselves, should I read this book? Is it worth it? And so my first, my first level of effectiveness is actually putting the book in people's hands. Handful of them will read it. Handful of them will immediately see the title, The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists. And they'll be like, you know, screw that. I'm not out to make a million bucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's
0: okay. That's all right. It's art.
1: It's art. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing the, the carpet bombing version of getting my book into the world. Uh, and, and hoping too that the age of the people that I'm, I'm getting this book in front of means that they will be readers for a long time to come. And now they've got my book and maybe they'll check me out later and see that I only write novels other than this.
1: Right. So do you kind of like the long game. So it's an investment now and you're hoping that there'll be enough noise that and they tell your friends, right? Like, isn't that the biggest mm-hmm. thing? Like, it's not even that it's there, but that people want to talk about it and they want to tell right. their friends about it and they want to be excited about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. and then I've got like, I've got the QR code for yep. my podcast on the back of the book. So Smart. praise for the reluctant book marketer. So trying to just create this web where people can, can fall into my world and then get cozy and stay for a little while, um, so and 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 it's nice, too, because the insurance agents are buying the book for me, so I'm actually making money putting my book in college students' hands, nice. so everybody, everybody wins if they get one insured from the process, then they win um if not, they still get goodwill and a mention on my podcast at some point i right. I start the whole episode like this because it's kind of it's a brand new thing for me. I might cut this whole part of the conversation but. <laughs> It's got me in a headspace, Claudia. Right, like right. I'm thinking in weird ways right now and doubting myself and also like feeling egotistically impressed with myself for coming up right. with the idea. There's all these things that are jammed together. So oh. that's my first question for you. I and mean, then even if that idea long- doesn't
1: work, right? right? I mean, it could be something else that your next great idea that you try out and you've got the metrics for. And if not that, it could be the
0: next idea, right? Like it's an exactly. infinite
1: possibility.
0: Yeah. Almost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the lead up to the big question for you is what's a novel marketing idea that you've pursued and what did you learn from it?
1: So one of the first things that I did. So you 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 do a research, right? So you do a lot of research and, and try and figure out like what's out there. There was a lot it was the free book craze, there was, you know, newsletters or everything. There was right. um you need to get out there, you need to like everybody needs to go on everybody else's, like all the writers need to go on everybody else's social media and, and like and whatever else, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a whole range of things. Um I decided to go down the newsletter path and I decided mm-hmm. to do the cookie thing right so I had this um it happened to be near Halloween and I had this um sort of like fantasy um uh it's a, a nerdy skeleton who's on a soccer team who loses mm-hmm. his head and he's going through it's it's very cute um but I ended up doing a Facebook ad that had mm-hmm. and it was just Read this and sign up for my newsletter, right? Like just like, and it's a cute little story and like, and then had like the introductory thing. And I'd never done anything else like that before. And I thought, what's the worst thing could happen? I lose a little bit of money on Facebook ads, but Mm -hmm. I have people looking at my stuff and they can figure out who I am and if they might be interested in the type of writing that I do. And so that was like the first like little venture of the idea. Like it's not the most original idea like yours is, but it was something I had never done before and I wanted to try and gave it a go.
0: Yeah. And, and so talk to me about what you learned from it. And have you tweaked that, that process and improved on it? Have you moved away into something else? What's been the evolution of it?
1: So I think what I learned as a multi-genre author is that the cookie that you use, you need to be careful of the cookie that you use. I actually had two cookies that I did, one that was not holiday dependent and one that was holiday dependent, right? Like mm-hmm. skeleton yeah. sc- stories sell better and they're more interesting when you're right. near Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you don't do that during Christmas, you know? Well, some people do. I have a friend who does, but um, but I have another one that's kind of like this witch story. It's about this witch and a supernatural mm-hmm. daycare agency. And, you know, she's defending the, the supernatural babies against this, you know, hive mind thing that's coming to get them. Mm -hmm. but that and the things that i had published didn't necessarily align well so was i really representing like my whole goal was to represent who i was and so you get a little taste and then you'd go look at my other stuff and i think there was a disconnect with they might have liked the witches but i didn't have any other witches out there they might have liked the skeleton but there wasn't any other skeletons out there and so i think i have to get more um things that are closer to the groupings of things that I've got in genre. And there will Mm -hmm. be some who go across. That's Mm -hmm. fine. And I found some of those, but I think that would be the next thing that I would try.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one thing I want to ask you real quick, because I think that there, so I'm working with Dr. Sheena Howard. Um, I do, I do really mindset coaching with her and it's crazy to me because her level of success and experience is a lot further along than mine. Um, and I just appreciate her cause she's like, Hey, one thing that that you can do for me is you can remind me when I'm thinking too small. Um, and so it's been a <laughs> really fun friendship yep. to build with her to talk. We just talk once a month. She tells me what's up in her world. I critique when she's wasting her time and tell her when she's thinking too small. And yep. then I just get to like, see her brilliance and what she's doing. Um, she has a, a children's book that she wrote because her son was so excited about it. So she, she worked on it. For him and wants to get out in the world is self-publishing it. at the same time she's seeking an agent for her adult themed work. Um, she yeah. has like multiple different goals, but we talked about a really similar process to the one that I'm using to get my book in the hands of college students. And it just appears that it would be a good fit for you as well. If you, if you want to target children, what kind of businesses would benefit from partnering with a, like a daycare or something like that? Right.
1: We're- well, I mean, I guess uh the one of the previous employers I had, they actually had a daycare on site and they used that as yeah. one of the benefits that they did for their uh workers when everybody came in because Perfect. they're on average it was mostly women who worked for that type of organization. Yeah. So daycare was huge. And if you could Brilliant. go to work and drop them off downstairs and go upstairs, I mean you yeah. saved on time, commute everything else.
0: Now, do they so, do they still have that daycare? Is it still operating? They do not. Oh, they do what? not. Okay, their the I mean... model
1: changed, but it was that. Okay. Right. But something like
0: that. Yeah. So so yeah. my thought process for you is part of the time you could spend reaching out to businesses just like that that you know have daycares. Um mm-hmm. it's a bummer that, that that place doesn't have it because that would be a relationship where you're like, hey, you guys loved me, I love you. Buy right. my book and you Buy know, give book. it to your give it to your kids. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm starting to think more in terms of that for for authors in our situation where we don't have the establishment behind us necessarily right. ways right. that we can sell books in bulk because that's i think the biggest place where we're losing to uh penguin random house and right. double day and all of those things is that they but Isn't there another
1: level though sell. like not even selling the book but they have to read it like how many ro- mm-hmm. books do you have on your TBR i have an, an epically right. embarrassing number of TBR reads that I will probably never get to that yeah. I got in bulk because I have like a box of whatever that I got yeah. for books, and the book sure. comes in. And so, how do you get them to read it? Right, that so, next level down, or is it I, just an odds game?
0: No. Well, it is partly an odds game. Everything in the world is an odds game. So, I, I mean, I'm going to answer your question in two ways for me, and we can have like an open-ended conversation. But my podcast is specifically for novelists who want to sell a million copies of their book. Like that's yep. really what I'm trying to get across with every episode that I record. But I also know that the marketing principles inside this show will work for memoirists will work for poets, will work for biographers. Whatever you're writing, if you want to sell it to a third party, all the same principles work. It's And honestly, I learned this stuff from selling insurance and direct mail marketing. So that's my background. Um, And so that's where the odds game comes in is that I have a following on Twitter of roughly 20,000 people now. And- I was not having the growth on my podcast that I wanted to see despite doing everything I could think of. And so I made what a lot of people considered to be a radical decision to direct message every single follower on my list, which it took. Ballsy. (laughs) Ballsy. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And Took a lot of time because it's a one-on-one. Yeah. You cannot bulk mail people on Twitter. So you have to open their profile. You have to come up with a scheme so that you don't lose track of where you're at. Uh, and then you have to send a, an individualized message to every person. Now I did in my message, I said, hey, I want to be transparent. This is a form message. I have a podcast. You follow me on Twitter. So therefore, you're probably a writer. Would you mind if I sent you a link to my podcast? My podcast grew 500%. In one month, yeah, it was great. Um, I went from having a podcast that wasn't even rated to being in the top 2.5 percent of all podcasts. So, standing—it's a numbers thing. Some of those people never listened ever, even though they said, "Sure, I'll take a link." Some people never responded. Right. A handful of people listened and said, "This is exactly what I was looking for," and told their friends. And that's what you
1: want right there to reach those people who are going to tell yeah. my friends. And the yep.
0: only way to do it is to just reach a bunch of people. Unfortunately, right. as much targeting as we do, uh, as much research as we do, there are there are holes in our sieve. We are, we are like a colander. And so we yep. have to keep the flow into our pot as yep. wide open as possible. And and it's um, interesting.
1: And it might even be just the wrong time for some people because I know that I've had different things come in and then there's just too much information. I'm like, nope, not now. And then it'll come back later. I'll be like, no, no, no. Now I need that. I need to go look at that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's um, we were talking about your newsletter the other day when we were just kind of like brainstorming what we wanted to have this conversation be about. And you were saying your open rate is a little bit lower than you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd love to improve the open rate. That's kind of another area where I'm sort of. Uh, of the mindset of like, I'll toss them on the list. As long as I don't have to pay a ton of money to get that email in their inbox, I'm right. not as worried about how like high density that open rate is because the people who do open it are finding some value. Uh It's why they keep opening it. And yep. at some point, well, interesting. Let me, let me ask you a question. I want to, I want to ask you this question seriously, because I think I know, but I never want to assume about other people. How do you feel about getting marketing newsletters from like, even when you opt in, when you opt into a marketing newsletter and someone sends you something and they're like, buy my X. how do you feel about that? Is that a positive interaction for you or a negative one?
1: I'm a mixed bag. I, sure. I will absolutely admit that I'm a mixed bag. Um, I've got a certain tier of newsletters that I am so enamored with whoever it is that they send me whatever it is and I will open it up and I will read it and I will, mm-hmm. you know, um, click on their links and look at things and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a certain subset that... Um, I did it for the cookie. I mean like, whatever it yeah, was absolutely. that they offered that they dangled yes. in front of me, like yes. I totally did it for the cookie. And I'm, you know, yeah. am I really interested? Probably
0: not. You know, yeah. probably
1: not. And I've got a system of like like fake names and kind of like things oh, like that's hilarious. I'm terrible. Okay. I'm terrible. No, that's And I figure fine. out ways around the system because my uh, inbox is crazy. But um Yeah. But there are times where I see something and especially like something like intriguing. Um, I personally love subscribing subscribing to like science magazines and like the okay. weird things out in the world and like things like that because I'm always looking for inspiration. Yeah. And so those will catch my eye and I'll mm-hmm. read those in bulk. Like I won't read them for a month and then I'll just like one day be like first one, second one, yes. third one, fourth one, fifth right. one. And then right they're all read in, in there. So yeah. I'm a mixed bag. There are some others that I hate the shouting at me ones. Mm-hmm. right the ones that are yeah. buy me buy me buy me and that's all they ever mm-hmm. say and there's nothing personal and i feel like you know yeah. they could have been a robot sending it and i unsubscribed to those almost instantly
0: yeah I'll tell you what, um, there's there's a couple of things that, that really hit me there. One is, um, I and you and I talked about this too, Substack. I'm using that because it's free. It doesn't matter how many email addresses I get on there. Um, and totally transparently, if you're a listener right now, I only have 181. I have people who unsubscribe from time to time because I overmail them. And I, I know that that's on purpose. I try to do daily. Um, wow. And so, right, exactly. Some people are going <laughs> to opt out because they're like, it's too much content. I don't want that. Some people will opt out because I'm opinionated in my newsletter in ways and I'm not on Twitter, but um, anyways, I, I think uh, I've lost the, the train of my point there. <laughs>
1: derailed, um, <it's> gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I totally totally derailed. There was a reason Substack. why, yes. Yeah, so I was talking about Substack, but why was I talking? There was a, a it was something you said about your newsletter. Oh, the buy me, buy me. So, what I wanted to say about mine is I every time I have a link to pre-order my book. Cause that's what like the action I most want people to take. And I have a couple of links to subscribe to my Substack. So if it lands in an inbox um, and somebody shares it or a new person, I want them to join my mailing list. Um, my actual like follow through is so small. People are opening it. Some people have opened everyone I've sent out. They're clearly like engaged in some way, but they're not making a buying decision. I'm really curious about that. What are your thoughts? Not, not about mine personally, but about your own experience too.
1: Right, right. Cause um, we were talking about this in the previous conversation that I, mm-hmm. I found this trick in one of a uh, different uh, newsletter that I do follow and love that yeah. there was that link at the bottom that was the surprise link. Like I just, I love That's that right, concept, love right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I put that in my newsletter at the bottom. You go through whatever other junk I have in there. And at the bottom is, is the surprise link. And mm-hmm. that is the number one link that everybody clicks in the newsletter, right? Yeah. Like it is, and it's generally something themed or something that I thought it was too cool to like not send.
0: Yeah, um, I do remember
1: cool. it some of them are. but I think that there are the people who go down and do the surprise link. I hope that they're subconsciously looking through the letter and not just scrolling down. Right. You know, I hope that at some level they're engaged and that they're open to a future relationship where they're Mm -hmm. open to something where they'll see something and be like yes I want to try that now I want to buy that it's like that three contact thing right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to see something three times before you're really sort of like interested and going to do it like I feel like that's on my way to the three contacts so so even though they don't look at the other stuff they went down there
0: yeah there's this there's this interesting thing that's starting to happen is that they keep bumping that number up it went from three to being seven to being really like absurd yes and, and the reason is is because we never know why somebody engages. I think as much as, as the sales and marketing gurus want to tell you that there's an actual formula to this, it's not about the number of times. I mean, there's, there's certainly noise is a a factor. How much noise can I make in your head? Because if I can disrupt your thinking enough to stop and consider me, then if what I'm offering you is up your alley, then it's going to happen. It's just how much noise I can create in the right way. Because if you like listening to it, you keep tuning in. Right. I, so let me give you this example too. And this is actually partly what I was talking about with Substack. I'm a fan of a guy named Grant Cardone. He's super, some people love him. Some people hate him. I like him because of his hard work message. He talks about like, never give up. I'm signed up for a couple different newsletters he has. And he mails sometimes four or five times a day. cats! Oh so it's insane. He'll actually, he will talk about how he tries to do this. He tweets hundreds of times a day. He has a whole staff that does this stuff for him. Um, he's obnoxious to most people. And, and I understand that, yeah. but he's also a billionaire. <laughs> you know, <sighs> exactly. I know, I know exactly. So the thing is right? what he's doing is working because he's really fully committed to doing his thing. I'm right. actually am more in the habit of deleting his emails than opening them. But randomly, every once in a while, one of the headlines in the email will catch my attention. And I'm like, I wonder what that's about. So I open up one out of 20 uh, and I still like him. It's just the relationship I've chosen to have with him as like an entity that he's right. going to invade my inbox all the time. And I don't love it, but I like him enough and his message enough that occasionally I'll stop. So right. all of that, basically, exactly all that to say um, for him, it's way more than three. It's going to be like three thousand right. before I ever buy something of his,
1: right? Wait, but, but there's also too like that message. Like, what is it that he does that would? And maybe that's the headline portion of it. That it's something that's intriguing enough to you about something that you want to take action on,
0: yes, and not exactly. just like a piece of data. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's that that emotional connection. Every once in a while, he catches me emotionally, and I'm like, yes, that's lacking in my life. I need to open up this email I and need figure to open out. Open
1: up this email. Yeah. What's
0: wrong with me? <laughs> oh, I can fix it. <laughs>
1: Now I can fix it. But yeah. that, that is that is true. And people, um, I don't know why this, this occurred to me, but I have a girlfriend um, who did counseling and she just retired. And I asked her, like, she had seen some patients for 20 years, 25 years. And I asked her, well, how come, you know, they kept seeing you? Like, what, what was the deal with that? And she said, most people go to counseling because they want to feel better. Mm. They don't want to change. They want to feel better. Mm. And so- Wow. I know, I had like that boom kind of, but I yeah. from a marketing perspective as well, right? People see those headlines and are they looking to feel better about something where you're mm. sort of um reinforcing something they already believe? Or are they actually looking at changing something? So they want to get that million dollars. They want to, yes. you know, actively change something that they feel is lacking. And that's two yeah. different mindsets almost when you're looking at those emails and what you would put in them to attract those people.
0: It's so true and it so exactly reflects the phone calls that I've been making. When I talk to an insurance agent, the story I tell them is you get a head start on all the other insurance agents because you're putting this book in a student's hand who knows that they're spending $50,000 to get a degree that's not going to teach them how to make money on the degree. So right. it's that emotional connection of like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing. They're afraid of spending $50,000 on a degree and not being able to like turn it into a business. And this book solves that problem for them, at least in part.
1: Right. And
0: so the insurance agent then gets to be the one who gives that book to them as a gift. And then they equate this solution with the insurance agent. So when it's time to get a, a auto policy, right. well, hello, I trust you. You gave me a book, you friendly person, you. You helped um, me. Yes, you cared about, about my future. Yeah. you You helped solve the worst feeling in my life, which was fear. Right. That's crazy. You're the I one who came, came up with that. What? <laughs> You're the one who came up with that. I mean you, you were just talking about that. I think that it's right. I think it's such a, a, a powerful thing. If you can solve someone's emotional agony Right. You can speak to them. Do you feel like you write your books with that in mind? Is that actually conceptually on your mind when you're writing? It's like this, no. this, yeah, me either. Mm-mm.
1: So no, no, I've, I've always been told that like writing the books is your creative aspect for it. So you mm-hmm. just go and be creative and write whatever mm-hmm. it is you write. And then the marketing yeah. and the business, yeah. you put your creative hat away to some extent. And then yeah, no. it's a business. So go for it. Right. Like do what you need mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. I have, I, I don't, I'm not even an outliner. So I'm, I'm like fully creative soup. I don't, there's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what, what is it then at what point do you start to see the project, the book that you've written um, and extract from it, the obvious principles that you put into the book? Because as much as you want to entertain you can't write in a vacuum where you're not teaching at the same time. It's sort of like the blessing and curse of being a writer. Your right. book is, it has some sort of like lesson or takeaway. W- when do you start that process of extraction of like, here's the takeaway in the book?
1: So do you, it's like a little tickle for me. Like sometimes I've got this trilogy, the the Relic trilogy that... Um, Science fiction, future planet, like it's got time travel monsters mm-hmm. on the planet, all sorts of crazy things, yeah, orphans, uh, demons, you know, whatever. But All the good stuff. Under, all the good stuff, right? <laughs> but underlying it is more about, like, there's there's two character arcs that I really like in there. I've got Z, who's this child assassin who changes his life. And it's, can he, right? Like that question, like, can you become the person that you want to be? Mm-hmm. And then I've got this other character who's more about the bad guy who lost her daughter and she's spending all this time and effort and she's killed people to try and get her daughter back because she thinks mm-hmm. she'll create time travel. And, and so it was more about like, how far would you go mm. as uh as an individual for those things that you believe in? Would you kill for it? Would you right. like how far is too far? And at what point is there no ROI like using business terms and for, <laughs> um, and then what does it mean? So, you know, at the end, um, the one character decides that, um, she she has to go far enough to give up like in order for her Mm. daughter to come back and be happy. She has to give her up. Right. And that's like the ultimate after everything. So I think that snuck up on me that it was all about that decision and really, yeah. How far you will go. I think that I'll circle back and say it that way again. Yeah. How far would you go for those things that you love?
0: It's a, it's a beautiful message. I love it. I mean, uh, um, popularly, it reminds me of Thanos from the Avengers movies, um, probably the best superhero like story arc in all of film. Um, you know, and he's willing to kill half the universe for his ideals. So to to, to right. save the universe, to he's willing save to the kill. Universe. Yeah. Right. And um, people
1: are going to call him a bad guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And it, it is, it's an interesting thing. I think that, um, I, I personally really enjoy, uh, how many anti hero stories there are out there now where you can really identify with people who do some kind of deplorable things. I recently asked a question on Twitter. Um, have you ever lied about buying someone's book? Um, <laughs> I it's two, twofold reason for asking the question. One was I've had people tell me they bought my book and I'm looking at pre-sales and I'm like, the numbers aren't adding up, something's going on here. And I like, I think that they know that I know, but you know, so that that was, that was part of the question. But the other part was I myself have been deceptive. I've lied about certain actions that I've taken, how much I liked a book. If I thought it would hurt someone's feelings to say, I liked it less than I actually did. Um, just based on the fact that I don't buy a ton of independently published books at this point, I've not lied about that particular thing, but I don't right. think that makes me better because I have lied about things to try to keep like balance in the world. And it's a lot easier to like look at myself in the mirror and accept myself after hanging out with Thanos for a little while. Um <laughs> I don't know. Uh
1: It's for the overall good. <laughs> <or something. laughs> My lies are for the good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not. Obviously, not true, but uh, I guess <laughs> I figured I would air my dirty laundry a little bit here um, so a couple of things that that are a challenge for you is when you're writing a children's book, but you're also writing adult um, yes. sci fi fantasy type things and and I want to know uh how do you keep it separate how do you most effectively capture your readers and not so that they don't intermingle so that your sci-fi readers are not getting your children's updates and so on and so forth. Is there a real effective way to do that? That's timely.
1: I, I don't. Th- so I have the problem that there's only so many, so many hours in the day, right? Of, you know, mm. I'm a, 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 small business owner. It's me.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <I> mean, yes. <laughs> same, and same. so,
1: um, and if I, if I, if I, I thought really hard about dividing out newsletters and I thought really hard about, um doing some different things but it's one more piece of work that i need to do that doesn't go towards the bottom line of creating books because mm-hmm. without creating the books there's nothing there's nothing there right so yeah. um so i i really struggled with that and i have had the urge um i i tried my hand a little bit at erotica um and okay. you know cuz everybody kind of does that i haven't actually published it because it just does not um it feels really weird But if I were to do that, that Mm -hmm. would not mingle at all with what I've got going on. I couldn't, right? right? Yeah, there's a couple
0: of subjects that seem to be, yeah, so niche, but also like loud enough that they, they really do need to stay their own thing. And
1: that's part of the reason why I think I decided not to, because Mm -hmm. I would have to have a separate newsletter. I'd have to have a separate, Mm -hmm. you know, pen name. I'd have to have separate everything in order for that to truly be, to not lose people in the noise between. Like, you know, I could see Mm -hmm. people going over and saying, Oh, wait, you wrote this. I'm out, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm probably going to destroy this this uh avenue for myself uh, that I wasn't going to take anyway, but my wife and I actually talked a lot at one point about me writing romance novels and attributing them to her, so she would yeah. actually be like the author um and and I would be writing the books and she could, you know, do any kind of like final pass fail on if I it hit the hit the mark because um if you're a romance reader right now, please, you know, take my sincerest apologies, but it's formulaic. It has to do certain things in order to fit. It does. It's uh, very beat driven. Yes. It's very beat driven. And very, so very... people who read it, my wife reads 400 books a year. She mm-hmm. vastly outreads me. I read uh half as many books as she does a year on a good year. And that's just because like it does something, it tickles something, it satisfies a craving in some way that nothing else seems to. But I could crank out five of those a year if I wanted to, and if yeah. I were if I were writing romance books and publishing them under her, you could theoretically make a, a good deal of money. But you I have feel to like go it would for money driven.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Like you, it, it's not just formulaic because um sure. honestly, I yep. read a lot of, of, I mean, I mean it, it is and it isn't right. Like the thing that brings yeah. you into the romance is you want that person to be your friend. You want to mm-hmm. see what happens. You want to see what happens with all of their friends of friends. You yeah. want to see everybody get their happy ending. And mm-hmm. if it's too cliched or you don't care about them, you're done. Right. There's another yeah. 500 uh, romances out there. That is true. Pick someone else's.
0: That is that is very true. Yeah, and but the, the the also the other problem though is because of the prolificness, there's just not enough books to satisfy most romance readers. It's right. it's something real specific to the genre that they can you know their readers can read 400 books a year. Because yeah. again, you talk about only so much time. I'm like, how does she do this? But there's there's just things that are going on. I agree with you that there's characters. So I'm not. I don't want to belittle. Oh, and I romance. Know it's not ditching. Yeah. I, just, yeah, you're not. I want to be, I want to be very right. careful because I think that all writing is challenging, but when it comes to, yeah, formulaic anything, it's going to be easier than not. Um, I think that's the reason why some great writers like Lee Child will write uh, Jack Reacher for, for his entire career. Cause you just right. tap into Jack over and over and over again. And the book gets yeah. easier and easier to write. James Bond gets easier to write every time you do it because yeah. you just know James. So.
1: But what's interesting too, with the romance is not only does it, if it you also have to do it somehow slightly different and still be the same, right? Like that's the problem in the <laughs> yeah. romance, right? Like yeah. the meat cute has to be cute enough and it has to yes. be a, right. It can't just be a meat cute. It mm-hmm. needs to be something more, right? And then you have to have the right tropes and you have to have the right, mm-hmm. like, I think it's a different set of hoops that a romance author needs to go through to be successful that, say, a science fiction author needs to go through. Agreed. Right, then, right. But there's still hoops. There's still, it's still not easy.
0: Here's the other question, too, and this is something I think I'm not accounting for enough in this conversation, is the actual, going back to what we were talking about as far as emotional connection goes, um, romance connects emotionally probably more effectively than anything else. Like, the want to be loved by a specific person for all of your dirty laundry and your six-pack abs is just... (laughs) really big. So uh why do you think that and it's an escape. It is. Why do you think that more more um genres don't account for that and like lean on romance more? I mean why why are so few books really like embracing a sense of romance when it clearly is a leading factor uh for some crazy big reads?
1: Okay, so I do have an opinion about this. And Please. my opinion is going to be, um, and it's not going to seem like it, but it's cookies, right? Or okay, bakery yeah. items, right? Yeah. So a good romance to me is like this perfect chocolate chip cookie with just the right number of chips. And it's gooey, and it's hot off the oven, and you just yeah. want to devour it. And if there's a whole tray of them, you will eat the whole tray because they are there, and they're yummy, and you want it, right? Yes. But when I do science fiction, I'm not looking for the cookie, right? Like I'm okay. looking for a bagel. I'm looking for a bagel with cream cheese. I'm looking for yeah. something completely different. And if you tried to make your bagel like your chocolate chip cookie, it okay. wouldn't work, right? Like you could so, put yeah. some things, right? But I don't I don't think they necessarily mesh super well. And and maybe the yeah. analogy is a little too far.
0: I don't think so. I I would tend to agree with you. I think of um, one of my favorite books, and there's reasons I don't read her anymore, but Marilyn Robinson wrote Gilead. uh, And it's a book about a a Midwestern pastor who has some fairly deep regrets. He's really old. He had a son late in life. And so it's an epistolary book, which if if you don't know what that is, it's uh, not you, the the listener. um, Letters. It's written as letters to his son. Um, and as the book unravels, it really centers around his best friend's son who effed up his life and his fear that his own son right. is going to follow in those footsteps. It right. is like you just said, I, I wouldn't even call it a bagel. I would actually call it like a, a, a salad. It's super duper nutrient dense. Right. A lot of people don't love it because a lot of people don't love salads. Like they want a taco right. or a pizza or something like right. that. But right. I love that book and I like all of the books that she wrote in, in that kind of connected world. Um, so I have a deep appreciation for what you're talking about. And I wonder, are the, are the best, are the, best is such a hard word too. Are the great writers the ones who know how to crumble cookies in a salad and make it taste good?
1: Okay. So I'm going to ask you what your definition of great is.
0: That's a good question, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the best that I can do with that, that question is to say of living authors, I mention him every episode of this podcast, so I might as well just call this the Stephen King podcast. But <laughs> yep. Okay. I think that Stephen King is a great author. The reason I think that he's a great author is that uh, he has the ability to take ethical and mor- moral dilemmas and create stories that don't feel like cautionary tales or huge, like, don't do this. I mean, he writes the stand about a pandemic that destroys the world. Um, right. And yet you leave with sort of a call to consider religious implications. I mean, it's, it becomes like a world of gods and the way that he substitutes those things is amazing. So my definition would be, can you write a book that's so gripping that it's hard for me to put down that it reads like a thriller, or that it reads like uh, an action adventure. And yet I leave that book a better person for having read it. Like it actually ethically challenged me to change my life in a way. That for me is, is the definition of greatness.
1: Add that, that five years later, you're still thinking about it and it's still affecting you, yeah. right? It's not just this this yeah. momentary, ephemeral sort of impact that may or may not stay over time, but yes. that you still think about it later and it still pops up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's so few great... I mean, that's a hard thing, right? You're like... Really hard. Yeah. But to yeah. do that would be amazing, to affect that many people
0: mm-hmm. and
1: help the world and just like raise the level, that yep. would be crazy amazing
0: yeah it it leaves me it leaves me with the question i guess really this is one of my favorite conversations by the way this is one of my very favorite conversations i've ever had on this podcast you are really fun to talk to um it leaves me wondering if we knew how to get our books into more hands like we were talking about right. at the beginning the numbers games mm-hmm. are there actually greats among us who are just crappy marketers
1: i would say yes Right. Yeah. I would absolutely say so. yes. And whatever it is, it, it's their lack of self confidence or the lack mm-hmm. of people seeing it or um, they gave it up, right? They moved yeah. on to something else they because it didn't click right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I bet that uh, absolutely is. That's
0: really and everybody's hard everybody's going to have that, to accept.
1: Yeah. But there's still a chance, right? Everybody listening, they could hear this and they could, they Mm -hmm. could take your advice and they could, you know, decide to, to go forth and try some more and get Mm -hmm. more eyes on their books. And maybe they're the ones who have that piece of advice that are going to help others, right? And everybody needs a different piece of advice, right? So this is not Mm -hmm. like a one trick pony. There could be 10 great books out there for what people need at this moment in time.
0: Yes, exactly. There are, there are no doubt multiple mini books that will all satisfy the same need. Um, and that's the beauty of, of fiction specifically, I think. Uh, okay. So a couple of things. One is my childhood books were the Francis the Badger books. Was that you and I that talked about that in our previous conversation or? Nope. Okay. So yep. Francis the Badger is probably not like, I mean, it's either a, a book that a parent reads to a younger child or the child probably needs to be somewhere between four and six. To really appreciate those books, they have a bit bigger words. There's pictures on every page, but um, you know they're kind of like bigger moral swings. Um, when you're writing a children's book, do you do you think about the life of the reader? Are you going to try to graduate them into reading your next level, or do you just want to catch them then and hope uh, that 20 years down the road you catch them again? Does that make oh, sense? Oh,
1: that does make sense. That does make sense. You're right because. Um, that's interesting because it goes into whether or not an author is capable of connecting to the different ages that go yeah. through in people's overall life cycle as they go yeah. through. And, um, I'm guessing that most people can only connect at one particular level unless you're a particularly mm-hmm. skilled author. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe over time you can. I don't know. Um, I have not, I would love to introduce them to something. And then even if they forget me, over time, mm-hmm. and it opens them up to other ideas. I mean, that's, that's fine. Like it is what it is. Yeah. Um, or if they come back, I think that's really hard because children's books, like why ain't adult? No problem, mm-hmm. right? Like why yeah. to adult? I think you totally, absolutely do that.
0: Yes. And no, though, think about JK Rowling. She, she connected with, with, you know, a billion people through Harry Potter, but she can't through a casual vacancy. I mean, she just has not been able to hit on her adult books. So but anyways, I interrupt. That's true. That's true. That's true.
1: But that's (laughs) interesting because YAs are kind of both adults and kids that, you know, Mm -hmm. both intersect. But I think children's books and adult books are so different that it would be extremely hard to do, extremely hard to do. And I've got a one off on the child thing and everything else
0: is adult. So yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself writing another children's book? Or was this similar to to Dr. Howard that it was like, I I just I needed this one.
1: I just, yeah, it just came out and it was just, it was so much fun to write, but I can't see myself doing it again and again. I just, I keep Mm. getting drawn to more adult themes and I keep, right. So I'm not going to put some of those themes in a child's book or they're going to be like, you know, oh, don't buy that. No, (laughs) that's what all the parents will say.
0: Yeah, I, um, I worked in, um, teen wilderness therapy program. So I myself was a troubled kid. I got into some trouble as a high school student and, uh, you know, had brushes with the law and everything. And so when I came out of that experience, I really wanted to kind of give back to the community. So I worked at a company called second nature where you lived outdoors for, uh, well, if you were the teen, you lived outdoors for a couple of months before you transitioned into a boarding school. But the, the employees like me worked for seven days with the kids and then switched with the, you know, second team. Um, yeah. So yeah, like there's, there's something about teens that I really connect with. I could never see myself writing a book for kids. Like when you right. get to that age, I I literally don't understand. I have a 10, an eight and a seven year old, and I don't actually understand them. I'm just sort of like trying to be, yeah. keep them safe and love them for right. who they are. But in yep. terms of fathering them, it's baffling me. I don't, I don't know how to connect with them and it i wonder if I'm broken sometimes
1: no i have an 11 or a 10 and a 12 year old they're going to turn 12 in just a little bit and the yeah. same thing like they say things and i'm like aren't you supposed to be 16 before you start thinking things like that? And then let's say something <laughs> yeah. else. And you're like, that's like right. an eight year old thought. Like what in the mm-hmm. world? Like, yeah. I don't understand.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Kids are, kids are crazy. It's, it's a really, really difficult thing. So you're right that the, the leap between writing a children's book and adult fiction is, is huge. I'd love to see um, if it, if it, uh, if there's a way to connect your audiences, because in 20 years down the road, if you, if you were able to pass them off, you'd really have a great audience built in for yourself.
1: That would be great for the backlog when they get there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So backlog is a big piece of the conversation. I know that there are some people out there. Uh, Joanna Penn would be one of them who mm-hmm. says, really don't bother trying to be a full-time author until you have a backlog of at least 10 books. What do you think mm-hmm. about that?
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Um and I've heard similar advice in other groups like the, um, what is it, 20 books to 50K. And there's like some other books out there mm-hmm. or uh, organizations out there that have sort of a similar um, sort of feel to what is being stated. I do mm-hmm. think you need to have a certain number. And as a, a rabid reader, is that the right word? I mean, if yeah. I find an author that I like and I will buy the whole entire backlog mm-hmm. and will slow- make my way through it. And if there's only two books... And I don't get enough of an experience of them, mm-hmm. I might not be able to find them again because I've moved on to the next author. Oh
0: wow, okay, yeah.
1: yeah. But if there's enough of them, and I've connected enough, then I have that name in my head, and I go, I'll go oh, mm-hmm. we'll see if this person is, you know, put anything else out or you yeah, know, whatever. So I do think there's, um, but even then, that's not a guarantee. There's still some mm-hmm. marketing that still needs to happen, right? Just having ten books or twenty books yeah. doesn't guarantee success as a full time author.
0: Right. There's, there's
1: more, you need that to, to increase the odds, but it's not enough.
0: Okay. This is, this is a really big, uh, hot point for me personally. Hopefully other people are going to connect to it. I hate, and if you've done this before, I'm sorry. (laughs) I hate
1: rapid
0: rapid release. I really, really hate rapid release. Um, because I think, I think that it unfortunately preys on what you were just talking about, about sort of like that voraciousness, Mm -hmm. um, But unfortunately, unless you were really calculated early in the process, if you rapid release, I almost guarantee the quality of the book that you do it with is lower than it should or could be. And this goes back to when you were talking about what is great. Right. I'm personally not willing in my career to publish a book that isn't the best that I can do for the sake of speed. I won't do it. And that means right. I'm going to pay for a lot of editing. I'm going to, I'm going to spend in the multiple thousands to get my books edited. Nobody else has to do what I do, but that is my commitment to my reader is, you know, you're going to get a product that has, has been, you know, spent on in order right. for a book, quality
1: product, a quality product. Yeah.
0: But that also takes time. I so yep. far, and I don't know about you, but I so far have not been able to write a book I'm so proud of faster than five years. That's almost embarrassing to say. And I have a decent backlog that hasn't been published, but to get yeah. it to the point where I'm like it's ready to go, it's taken me about a five year journey, Re- like scrapping it, starting over again, like kicking characters out, changing plot lines, and stuff. Yep. It's just yeah, you have something, say it. But,
1: but 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 okay, so there's 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 that line, right? So there's mm-hmm. um, so you want to do quality, but mm-hmm. there's also that whole like. I'd, I'll say it the 80-20 rule kind of thing, right? Yeah. Or 90-90, let's call it 90-10 because I don't yeah. know both of us feel better. Um, <laughs> right? If yeah. Your book is not go- And maybe good enough is what you say, right? Like uh, how many yeah. people are such perfectionists that yep. they have that next great book, but because it is not 100% yes. on a moving scale, right? Because every time you write something, you're getting better and better. You're increasing yes. your skills. So your yeah. line is moving as you're producing. How in the world do you ever catch up with it? In a timely
0: manner? uh, Honestly, it's a beautiful, really good question. And it also kind of throws into question things like Stephen King's. Some of his greatest books are early. Like The Stand is one of his earliest books, and it still is better than some of his later books. He just caught uh, like magic by the tail and wrote it far enough. Um, and then right. a book a lot later, uh, do, 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 I'm going to forget the name of it. He says it's his worst book and it's Tommy Knockers. Oh, yeah. yeah Knockers is a bad book, unfortunately. And yeah, that's, but I liked,
1: there's some of it that I liked. Is me that terrible? Too, I know, no, okay. I,
0: I, I think if you checked me on Goodreads, I still gave it four stars. It's better than a lot of books that I read. Um, yeah uh and then there's j a Conrath I don't know if you're familiar with him um he's one of the more uh well selling self published authors out there beautiful blog if you haven't heard of him before check it out listeners to um j a Conrath but he is kind of of the opinion that he'll release a b plus so he'll write it and okay. and literally just say like I'll publish it when I feel like it's a b plus um rubs me the wrong way. I love a lot of the things that he says um I don't I like I I I B plus is tough for me. That's all I'm gonna say. B plus is tough right. for me.
1: Right. But I mean, what if one of those books in your backlog, because you said you had a lot of them? Yeah. You know, like so the lifespan, five years, backlog, right? You're you're Good already point. out laying. What if one of those right. books is one of those great books that would have affected people and helped people? And even yeah. at a B plus versus an A plus, mm-hmm. it could have helped so many people. Like, right? Like, but you're yeah. right. Well, you don't want a C book. You don't want a D book. You don't want an F right. book, right? Like, well, I mean, unless you're into that. But
0: you know, <laughs> you want to intended, by, <laughs> pun intended probably. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. So you're, there's you're, gotta you're... be
1: some line, right? That you say it is good enough, it meets my quality standards without going crazy overboard and being an over perfectionist that people aren't gonna notice the difference between your A B plus and your A minus. People might not notice and still think it's wonderful. I'm like, rah, rah, rah for you, man. I'm like, dude, you got your backlog.
0: (laughs) I do. I do have my backlog. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited to get some of the books out there. it is it is kind of a scary thing. I know for sure the novel's coming out in September, and that's an exciting thing to to finally be free of the literary agent to have made the decision to go self publishing. Those kind of things are surprisingly uh refreshing. I didn't think that they were going to be. I do still feel a little bit like a loser, um, just because mm-hmm. I like built my entire life on one narrative and now I had to switch it around. It. Uh the world's to- changed. It really has. It yeah. really has, and I want you to talk to me about about your experience of self publishing, um, and as as willing as you are to be open about your your very raw feelings about uh, self and traditionally published authors, How, like what what do you think?
1: So I. I still have that hole that I want to be a traditionally published author. However, I have a number of friends who are traditionally published authors or were and have had such terrible experiences. With yeah, it. exactly. Right. And some have good, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that it's all bad, but some have mm-hmm. had some terrible experiences with it. And the things that they could control were things that would bother me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so... Um, I decided that I was going to do indie and I decided, I so the rapid release, I did decide to rapid release. Mm-hmm. But what I did was I waited until the books were done for me, all of them, yeah. so that I could do the rapid release and like delayed going bef- until they were ready. Kind of
0: thing.
1: So not just like I'm writing them. My go right. Like they were they were done.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's that's that is. I knew even when I was saying that that's kind of the exception to that particular rule. Is that that there are people who who know that they're going to rapid release and they actually wait to time it so that they can get the most out of two books. And that's I think a different thing.
1: That is a different thing. Yep. Instead of I, I do have other friends who just basically. And I don't mean it this way. I do mm-hmm. kind of, but they just put whatever crap out there. Like the deadline yeah. comes and they put it out there and yes. you're like, and you sit there thinking you're given in the authors, a really, a bad bad name. Name. <laughs> a really bad name, really yes, bad name. Like, there's exactly. gotta be quality, right? There's right. gotta be some point of quality. Um, but so based on those, my friend's experiences with that, um, I I did pitch a couple of different places, but I never actually like really fully got behind it. And I decided that the market really was changing and that the view of mm-hmm. the world was going to be, you know, the indie author place and people publishing that. And there was going to be something other than the publishing companies doing that quality at the top, right? Like sort of yeah. getting people excited about the books. So yeah. I, I I decided to go down that path and I haven't regretted it at this point. I mean, right.
0: Yeah, you know, no, I, I I honestly, the only reason I can see myself traditionally publishing at this point is if one of the books that I sell or publish uh, sells well enough that they come to me for like international rights and those kind of things, then I will say, let's let's do this because the distribution that they can provide would be great. And then you get the official stamp of A, being traditionally published, but B, universities now will talk to you, which is the, the hardest part for me. Of the self-published world is that universities have not gotten on board that there's any self-publishing that is worth time. So they will not let you be a speaker. They won't let you interact with their students. You're just, you know, uh, blacklisted. It's going to
1: change, but it's going to change.
0: I think it will, too, but it's they're going to be the slow ones. It's kind of like I live in Nebraska, and we're going to be the last state of 50 to legalize marijuana. So... (laughs) Probably I, I, I don't I don't use it, so I don't actually care. But, but I just I think it's really funny because every other state's kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I'll but, just do it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's funny. um you had it's interesting.
1: In- Can you see it waves though, right? So romance is mm-hmm. very much like, if you look traditionally published, like the indie published versus right. the, like, it's mostly mm-hmm. Indian romance, which is why a lot of the infrastructure seems to be falling down. And I yes. think it's going to go into the other genres. Mm-hmm. And as those other genres acclimate to that, at some point, the universities are going to have to wake up and they're going to have to I recognize think so. that.
0: I agree You're going to you. have to
1: use a different quality. Control. And I think
0: part of the problem is, and he, this this is a whole other question that I, I honestly don't want to get into, but <laughs> um, universities use literary fiction as the the um, tent pole, as the pillar of the foundation. Yeah. Literary fiction, um, if, if for those readers or listeners who aren't familiar with it, is like slice of life. So what happens? You, you, know, you wake up, you make some orange juice, your wife cheats <laughs> on you, and you spend the whole time feeling miserable about yourself. Um, and, and that's also the least prolifically selling genre. It's close to poetry in some ways. And so I think that the universities are going to continue to be able to fool themselves that, uh, literary writers can't self-publish. They, they need the prestige of the Pulitzer prize and the Pulitzer prize needs the prestige of the gatekeepers at Penguin Random House, uh, and Harper Collins and FSG and all that kind of stuff. So there's this, yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's going to break. But people like you, people like me, we have to continue to have exceptionally high standards for how we publish a book, the quality of it, the look of it from the cover to the quality of the paper. I'm not even kidding about this kind of stuff. I feel like we need to spend the money to get like high quality paper, good covers, do hardback, do paperback, treat it like you are a traditional publisher and you just happen to be the publishing house. However, you have to do that, I think makes a really big difference.
1: And even was, blurbs, right? Like everything related oh, to it has to be right. It's not just the product, yes. but it's everything around it
0: that yes. you have to make as good
1: a quality as you can. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm tired can, already thinking about it. <laughs> I know. Me too. I had this great question. So one of one of my um, coaching clients, Neil Staley, um, he's also a podcast guest coming up soon, but. Um, he he i was talking through with him like this is what you do to get your readers and he said to me very candidly and it was a great moment in in the the interview he's like that sounds exhausting to me <laughs> yep yep that's what we talked yep. about this earlier in the conversation is that's what makes the difference between great writers with a huge readership and great writers that maybe quit too soon is that willingness to talk to the first 500 people one-on-one in order to get that book like a really dedicated following
1: and it's different skill set that's the thing that keeps circling back in my mind is that you know writing a book is one skill set in my mind right editing is another skill set the graphics is another skill set the marketing is another skill set you're a small business owner and it's just it's a lot right there's plenty of people who could be brilliant writers that just Mm -hmm. can't do the rest of it and I hope yeah. they get regular publishing contracts so we don't miss a
0: great one, just saying. <laughs> right. I'm I'm all for it. I like that. I I think I think the word can't maybe I take a small issue with choose not to would be different. I would be hard pressed to believe that anybody can't learn how to be a marketer. Um I'd probably be out of a job if that is the case. <laughs> But But don't you think
1: there's, like, a bell curve? Like, some people are going to suck, right, at doing it, and it's going to be sort of, right, like, they they say the wrong things, they think the wrong way...
0: So yeah, so here is where we like I love how this podcast keeps like wrapping background topics that we've touched on. So Grant Cardone, this guy I tell you I like, he is the guy who who had a history as a drug addicted young man who got kicked out of the house by his mom. He threw his life away, he couldn't get things straightened out. Um, and then he had a, a series of events occur by which he decided to change his life. He hated sales and he made this decision that would baffle most people to master something that he hated. So he's like, I'm going to be the best salesperson in the world. I hate sales more than anything. And he, he got a job at a car dealership. They gave him a chance when nobody else would hire him. And he like studied videos on how to be a salesman. And he went from being, you know, a drug addict who couldn't get a job to being the, the leading car salesman at the dealership. People who had been there for 20 years and obviously on to making a billion stinking dollars because right. he just fell in love with this thing and decided he would do it. So That whole backstory to say, he is a believer that anyone can do it. And I subscribe to his philosophy, partly because I see in myself the reluctant book marketer. It's not what I want to be doing. It's what I've come to terms with. I have to do in order to have the other thing I want, which is a million readers. I I want a million people to read my book. And in order to do that, I have to do some uncomfortable things. There is a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, who is also a billionaire great marketer believes that you are born with it some people just don't have because it's just social
1: sauce. skills inter oh they don't have secrets okay he believes they don't
0: have the secret sauce yeah some people are born okay. with it and some people can never achieve it and um i i see those two gentlemen as being diametric opposites um but they both reach the same thing and if i'm being completely honest for as many people as i've spoken to interacted with coached mentored uh very very few at the end of the day, will be willing to do the things that I'm doing. When I tell them, this is how I'm having success and I can teach you how to do this. A lot of people stop and they're like, that's not for me. I'll find another way. And you're like, okay, good luck. I mean, maybe.
1: But the other way could work, right? So because there's lots that's of ways question. to get to success, Yes. Like,
0: oh, definitely. Success, I'm, right? Definitely. If I'm not, I am not saying that my path is the only path. I am saying that my dedication Is to the best of my knowledge the only way to do it. You don't have to take the same actions, but you have to have the same mindset, which is like, I'm unbreakable. Nothing can break me, no matter how many people hang up the phone on me, no matter how many people call me bad names. Uh, right. whatever happens, I am not breakable. If I make mistakes, I learn from my mistakes and I improve because of them. All of that, like that recipe I think is what then makes you a good marketer. Cause nobody starts out with a great script. Nobody picks up the phone and just like naturally gets how to connect when they're trying to sell you a book. I keep right. using phone cause I'm making phone calls right now. Right, but right, right, right. But I do Same, think same thing, different to. media. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, about, um, in in conclusion what are your wants we haven't we haven't really talked about what your vision of of Claudia blood is uh 12 months from now 12 months from now
1: um okay so i'm going to answer the the ultimate goal would be like honestly um when you talk about that great book like i would love to affect someone like that where they read my mm. book and they come out of it and they just they're inspired for change or they look at the world differently so they can do something new and different, mm-hmm. like whatever that looks like. Like, I would love to be able to do that. And even if there's no monetary success, that would be an outstanding, yeah. an outstanding thing. Um, But I would like to have some monetary, like some good monetary success long term. Mm-hmm. Um in the next 12 months, uh, I have a number of books, you're talking about backlog, you make me want to look at my backlog and get I've got, you know, three different series that I've got the next yeah. book half created that I just need awesome. to finish them and get them out. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to dig in. And I think I'm going to have to buy your book, right? Like, isn't that <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> as
0: that's, the reluctant that's marketer? Right. That's yes? right. That's right. Because
1: I do need to, as you say that, I do recognize that you're saying that I've stopped myself from doing things because it was uncomfortable, and I've, mm-hmm. you know, chosen not necessarily, I've chosen not to follow some paths because mm-hmm. of the comfort around it. And I think I need yeah. to decide which path and then go for it and just climb that mountain or whatever metaphor mm-hmm. you want to move for, you know, yes, yeah. for going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I I love I love what you're saying that that sense of like I'm going to embrace the discomfort. It's amazing amazing things happen. Uh, I was just having a conversation with my friend John uh Last night, I was taking the boys for a dog walk and John called me and I picked up and and uh I, I was telling him the biggest change in my life was when I decided to act on every stupid idea that I had. I was like, I'm no longer going to question whether this will work or not. I'm just going to drop everything I'm doing if I have a random idea and I'm going to try doing it um, before it seems even stupider to me and <laughs> the biggest the biggest results that I have gotten have all been from, from doing that thing. And it's every time it's uncomfortable. It's like, Oh, if I'm actually going to do this you know, right. stuff,
1: here's so. the consequence. It's <laughs> a negative consequence, but the positive yes. consequence could be something new and exciting. So do you do it?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I and mean, you said, will, yes, people, yes. And people will call you stupid. I've almost started to believe that when somebody says that stupid, don't do it. That's almost a, like a stamp of approval. Like I should definitely do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, you know, using, Okay, using if they're
1: talking about fire rational, and you know, exactly. like in a <laughs> house, you know, closet with like, you know, clothing, yes. don't do that. Don't that's, like
0: that's bad. on fire.
1: Right. That's right. right. It's exactly. stand that's, that's bad. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. The okay. marketing ideas. Yes.
0: <laughs> exactly. So uh where where can people find you? I want people to be able to buy all of your books as soon as they're done listening to this episode and to connect with you on all of the social medias.
1: Uh my I have a website, Claudiablood.com. I'm a wide indie publisher so i'm available at all booksellers um and i'm also on uh facebook which we can attach i guess later on i can't think Mm -hmm. of what it is off the top but claudia
0: perfect and you have twitter i do okay do you do you use twitter are you a big twitter user Um, oh
1: i like reading it but i try not to say too much just because maybe that's part of that whole fear of (laughs) because most of it is like oh lol because i'm kind of an lol kind of like i think everything is funny so
0: yeah I hear you. All right. Well, I'll try to convince you later to use Twitter. I think it's the best.
1: Okay. It's on. Awesome.
0: (laughs) All righty. Well, this is, this is a wrap. I will put all of your information in the show notes so people can purchase your books and we will be in touch.
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much. It was great fun.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now,